Hey, this is Larry the Cable Guy, and you're listening to the Racing Boys, and if you ain't listening to them, you get out of the country because you're a communist. I love the Racing Boys. Like Mater says, they make me happier than a tornado in a trailer park. You know the funny thing about that is? The Larry voice and the Mater voice are exactly the same. Get her done! It's time for America's most unique motorsports show, Mostly Motorsports with the Racing Boys, brought to you by Rod and Supply and the Power Eye Midwest Lightning Sprints. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Mostly Motorsports. It's all brought to you by Rod and Supply, featuring the Power Eye Midwest Lightning Sprints. Todd Surprise running the show for us as he does each and every day. Can't thank him enough for everything that he does for us here at RBN, the Racing Boys Broadcasting Network. My partner for over 20 years, Kirk Elliott, joins me now. Kirk, how you doing today, bud? Uh, doing great. Hey. Uh, had a great weekend. Your, your football team did pretty good, didn't they? They did. Saturday night, Manhattan, Kansas. That was a weird game because it snowed the whole game. Hey, aren't you glad that you didn't go to the race Kirk, uh, I mean, go to, to the game. To the game, right? Well, yes and no. Yeah, yeah. It would have been great to be there to see it, but I wouldn't have want to battle the traffic, travel, snow, all the conditions getting there and getting home. I, I wouldn't want to deal with that. Yeah, you wouldn't. Want and to it have. was a good thing that I wasn't there. And for all you K State, because you could have spun out in the snow, yeah. Kirk. And for all you K State people that might be tuning in, you probably wished I was there because every time I go to see a game in Manhattan, Kansas, right, it's always a great night for K State and not so good for Iowa State. So yeah. that's been my history of traveling over there. So it was just as well I stayed home for my team to win. But at uh, man, what a crazy game! Uh, with uh, just back and forth. It was entertaining to watch. Right, yeah, yeah. Uh, Marie checks in. She says, hello, boys. Hope you had a great weekend. Yeah. We we had a good weekend. Watched a lot of college football. The Chiefs won. Yeah. So that was a good thing. Only watched two races this weekend. Watched Turkey Night and uh, the final F1 race. That was it. So just so you know, um, Turkey Night wasn't as good a race as it should have been. Right, Kirk? Yeah. Because it, it kind of rubbered down on the bottom, and, and it took rubber down on the bottom, and Kyle Larson even said so after the race that he wished the track would have been a little bit better than it was. And he wasn't throwing anybody under the bus. He wasn't complaining about it because he knows with that racetrack sitting by the ocean, it depends on the tides coming in and drying the track. If it gets windy which it did right before the start of that race. It dried right. the track out a lot quicker than anybody anticipated. Nobody's fault. It was just the conditions of the situation at hand at that time. And you've been there to Ventura Raceway, and I that's have. a unique situation. It is. Right by the ocean. Right like on that. the ocean. Yep. Uh, the wind can uh, cause an issue, and it did. With about uh, 60 laps to go in that 98-lap race, it was locked Mar down, rubber down. Marie said turkey was stinky. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but Ryan Timms, he, he picked up, uh, uh, he sweeps the weekend with the non-wing cars, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, he had much better time with the non-wing sprint car than he did in the midget. Uh, even though he was on the pole for the turkey night midget race, he qualified for the pole, got a great trophy, and was all jacked up with that when he said 
that I'm ready to go double up now in victory lane of the non-wink race. Right. I think I can double up this thing. But uh, he uh, pulled a big slider on early leader Logan Seavey, and as Seavey got him back, Tim's uh, got up into the loose stuff there. I'm not sure. Right. He had a tire go down. Did he not? No, it, it, it looked like that CV kind of slid him a little bit. He did. And, and when he tried to slide him, it looked like that uh, Ryan Timms got on the brakes and choked his car That's out. what happened. Yeah. And, man. And then, then, then he got hit, and then he knocked the, the left place, right tire. The third place driver at the time, Was Cale Drake? Drake, Drake, got into Ryan Timms and right behind all of that was Kyle Larson. And so he gets to restart behind Logan Seavey with 72 laps to go, and it didn't take Larson long he got to around get him. around Logan Seavey for the lead and never relinquished it the rest of the way. When the track rubbered down with about 60 laps to go, that was it. He, he took the lead, like, within the first couple laps of that race, yeah. didn't he? Uh, 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 the restart. Yeah, went around CV. Yeah, got around CV. So he pulled a big slider right. on CV. CV got him back, and then Larson went around the outside, and then that was that. Right. And uh, you know everybody else, you could kind of tell with about sixty laps to go, there were still a few of them running up high against the cushion, but it didn't take long. Everybody was down on the bottom of the racetrack. For the rest of the way. And Corey Day and Carson Macedo were two guys that saw it early. Right. And they were able to get right there in position. They didn't have anything for Larson at that point. But uh, good driving by Corey Day and Carson Macedo to finish second and third. We got a good show lined up for you today. Chet Krishner is going to join us here in just a little bit. And the voice of the Turkey Night. Yeah, he was. He was the voice of Turkey Night. And Ayrton Jeniton is going to join us here a little bit later. And we're hopeful that we're going to get Bob Baker to join us from the National Sprint Car Hall of Fame and Museum here in just a little bit as well. So, Kirk, what what did you? How would you grade? turkey night how would you give it a grade would you give would you give it a uh would you give, give it a it, b or b plus i'll say c plus c plus yeah i mean it had some action the first 30 laps were entertaining to watch there was a lot of things that were happening in that but uh it was kind of taken away with the rubber down uh right you know the last 60 laps. I, I thought Corey Day was going to make a run at him there right at the end. Didn't you he think so? He was fast enough. He, he, he yeah. was fast enough, but he just couldn't get out of the rubber. No, you, he just did. there was no way that he was going to be able to make a pass on right. Larson, even though he got up right next to him. Right. So it uh, is what it is. Our, our, our girl, Jade Avedesian, she didn't have a good night, did she? Yeah, she had a rough one. She flipped it in time trials. And then they were able to get that car back. It didn't really do a lot of damage to the car in uh, in time trials when she uh, flipped it, but came back and got qualified in through one of the three qualifier races. And she started uh, 22nd, I believe it was. Got herself up into the top 10 at one point. She did start 22nd, Kurt. Yeah. yeah. Got herself up into the top 10. But when the track locked down, it was uh, over. She might have got a little impatient there. She got into the back of Justin Grant, caused some damage to Grant's car, cost him his night, and Cannon McIntosh gets caught up in it. 
Right. And so I'm sure those two guys probably not very happy with Jade. Uh, but, uh, you know, Jade was not able to change that flat right rear tire because she'd already used up the 60, the one minute in the work area earlier in the night when she got caught up in that incident involving the earlier uh, incident. fusion and yeah. uh, believe it was uh, uh, moles that got uh, that got into an incident about three laps into the race. Taylor Reimer was involved in that as well as Mitchell Moles and Brody Fusen were the guys that uh, flip and Jade got caught up. She already used up her 60 seconds in the work area uh, prior to that. So when she had that fly tire, she she couldn't get a change time right. to get back out on the racetrack. And, and Taylor Reimer, she she had a she had a rough night as well. She got knocked out and broke an axle, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She uh, she got caught up in that. Uh, not her doing, by the way. Right. Yeah. And she was one of the top ten qualifiers. They locked in the top ten in time trials, and then the rest of them were filled in by the three qualifier races. So that's how it uh, that's how it worked at Ventura Raceway. But what a cool racetrack! I love the 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 scenery around the racetrack. You could see the ocean from it, the grandstands. It, it talks Ventura about Raceway. Jade Avedisian flipping during qualifying, yeah. and, and then Mitchell Moles and and, and Brody Fusion um, they flipped on lap number two of the feature. That, and that's what right. Taylor Reimer was right at the in. start of the race. Right. Taylor, that's the wreck that Taylor Reimer was involved in, and Jade got caught up in it, too. So Yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, there was a lot of action early in the race, but once it got to 60 laps to go, 50 laps to go, it would just kind of follow the leader from there on out. And, and Carson Macedo flipped after the checkered flag. Did you see that? Yeah, I think he, I don't know what he was, I don't know what he was doing down there. He got up, <laughs> he was laughing about it when it was over, but. Sort of laughing about it. Uh, he probably wasn't too happy about it. He would just. Uh, he said he just got a little carried away right there at the end and got it upside down. Right. But he was okay after that. But he still finished third. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, how, uh, what do you think about Ryan Tim sweeping the, the non-wing sprint cars? He, he dominated the non-wing sprint cars. He completely destroyed everybody yeah. on both nights, didn't he? Yeah. And you don't see him in a non-wing sprint car that often. Mm -mm. When's the last time that Ryan Timms has been in a non-wing car? You don't, did, you don't did he often did, see him drive a non-wing car. Did he ride, drive a non-wing car at the Jesse Hockett Daniel McMillan Memorial? I don't think so. He won the uh, wing 360 race at the Jesse Hockett Daniel McMillan Memorial. Did he... You were I, down I, there. Did I, he did he race a non wing car? I, I don't remember. I, I, I don't think did. I don't think he did. I don't think so either. But he's a talented listen, Ryan Timms is just about as talented as a driver as anybody out there. Would would you agree with me yeah. on that? He's still Kurt? a teenager, isn't he? He's still seventeen years old. That guy is he he's got a a, a lifetime of racing ahead of him. And I, I think that Ryan Timms is going to be one of the better sprint car drivers when it comes right down to it before it's all said and, and done. pretty good in a midget, too. He's yep. raced the full season for Keith Coons Motorsports. He certainly had a fast enough race car to win on Saturday night. He sat on the pole, and we'll see how he does at the Chili Bowl coming up. Mm -hmm. Here's, he'll, be, uh, he'll be one of the players down there, so it'll be interesting to see 
uh, how he's able to uh, carry forward not only the uh, sprint cars, but also the midgets. Pete says that uh, Geo Celsi will follow the World of Outlaw Tour in 2024. There you go. How about that? uh, Big news there. And I'm going to predict that... uh, that you'll see most of those guys that raced the World of Outlaws Tour last year. We may see maybe a defection or two, but I, I see most everybody coming back running the I, I I believe that everybody that runs with the World of Outlaws is going to stay with the World of Outlaws in, in 2024. Well, we know David Gravel is. We well, know Dottie Schatz is. Right. And... Uh, and, and Oh, the, only, the only teams that I see defecting to go over to the High Limit Series is Brad Sweet and Casey Kane. Yeah, that's what, it. Brad Sweet, the full-time. Uh, do, do Casey see, Kane was a part-time driver, but yeah, his uh, team, he was full-time he this year. Brad he, he ran car. full-time this year. I don't think he ran every race. Casey didn't run every race on the World of Outlaws Tour this year. But he's the team owner of Brad Sweet, the five-time World of Outlaws champion. They're the real only one defection that I can see right now, and we may see somebody else go on to a high-limit race, but all the big players that are left in the World of Outlaws I think are going to stay and run the Outlaws Tour again in 2024. Well... I, I, I'm taking a look right now. Casey Kane ended up 15th in points, but I think I don't think he ran every race. He let me see. Let me see exactly how many races he started. He ran 45 races. And how many total did they have? Um, 71. There you go. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds about right. Mm-hmm. Of course, he's the team owner for Brad Sweet's car. So, yeah, who else is going to make that defection? I don't see it right now. Uh, you know what I don't see? Fox going to run the Outlaws Tour. What What I don't see is year. is a, a a bunch of drivers leaving the World of Outlaws to go run with the High Limit Series. I don't see no. a, a bunch of drivers doing that. Do you? And, they, and the Outlaws doubled the tow money. For 2024 and they a year ago had up the uh, overall points fund now i think that high limit will put out a pretty hefty points fund for uh, 2024 but they're not going to pay as much tow money as the outlaws are stephanie's listening in from uh, ramsey minnesota just so i want to give a shout out to anybody that tells where they're listening from so just give a little bit of a shout out right there chris yance is just up the up the street from us, he's listening in on the okay. show. Not a lot of racing to talk about. You know, Chris. Do you know Chris, the guy that lives up on the corner? Yeah, yeah. Long hair. Yeah, you pointed. I didn't even know he lived right up the street here till you pointed it out to me one day. Mm-hmm. He lives right there on the corner. Yeah. So good guy. I've known I've known Chris for. Just so you know, I've known Chris for probably. 30 years i've probably known him since we worked up at uh holiday hills uh, uh the, the the car lot up there at, at, at vivian in north brighton north hills Automart. that's what it was yeah 
welcome to everybody tuned in. Yeah, the only other race that uh, I watched this weekend was the season finale for the F1. Since 86, Chris said. 86. 86. Oh, by the way, Max Verstappen won again. He ended up the season with 19 wins in 22 starts. Is that is that is that the most dominant season that we we've ever seen in 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 Formula One? I think so. That <laughs> I don't know. They got to do something about that. I don't know that Red Bull Racing. But, they, they've got them covered right now. Listen, I don't know that's going to have to make some rule changes or do something. Kirk, let me ask you this: Is that gonna, boring after a while? Is that going to run off people from Formula One? I don't know. It. it uh, just uh, it, it, it's a question just tell me what your thoughts are i think so it's got to get boring after a while doesn't it? when you go right. to the track and you know who's going to win right how fun is that? i don't like that no me neither but you know i i watched it i don't normally watch f1 like in the middle of the summer because right. there's too many other races going on right but you get this time of the year i'll take anything so you know if there's there's only two races this weekend and that's one of them i guess i'll watch and the race last week at Las Vegas. But, yeah, I went through a lot of the season without watching it at all because there's too many other races that to watch. are better to watch yeah. than that. Yeah. So, but anyway, uh, that's about as dominant a season as you could ever imagine. Um, Chris Schatz even painted one of my uh, race cars at one time. Chris Schatz did, just so you know. Yeah. How yeah. about that? Yeah, no doubt. I think one of the things that's cool that F1 does, and I don't, I think NASCAR better jump on the F1 allows you to download an app, pull up a camera on your favorite driver. So, I mean, like if your driver isn't winning, you can pull up a camera that follows your driver around and an in-car of that camera through an app. And all you do is just download your app, enter in the drivers that you want to follow, and you can watch on your i mean it's on your phone obviously but i mean you're able to pull up video like you're looking right you know as you're seeing on this big screen up above I thought you nascar had something like that well i think they have a deal where you can listen but i don't think can you can you uh, wa- to can, watch the yeah to watch that camera. car drive around the track so you're not i mean i get it this guy wins all the time but i bet you there's some pretty good racing around there and if you got some friends or some people that you really follow and like to watch be interesting to watch the race and not have to watch just the leader. And you yeah, know, the right. pit stops are kind of cool. Right. So they they get in and out of the pits about as quick as anything yeah. you've ever seen. But I think that's from what I saw on these. You know, you're see, see some of these grab. Look on that big screen up. They're showing some graphics, on screen graphics, and everything. And I I get it. It's probably being geared more towards the younger viewer. It's more of a spectacle of speed. It really. is, and and I think. With everything that you're able to do, not a do. whole lot of passing going on there. No, but no. But maybe uh-uh. there, but maybe <laughs> there is in the back though. What I'm saying. Well, there could be. And so, if you're just watching the leader and the and the, they're fixed on that, I mean, let me watch the whole race and not just fixate on this guy that wins every race. Kirk, and might would, be worth watching. Would you rather watch IndyCar racing versus Formula One? Uh, yeah, I would. I would too. Because there's more chances for other people to win Mm -hmm. but you know the indianapolis 500 to me is a must watch race every year i love that race right uh the road races 
maybe not so much, but certainly any cars on oval tracks like Texas Motor Speedway and any car. I'm watching those races. Yeah, no doubt. So I like all kinds of racing. You know, I like, give me any kind of racing. Snowball Derby this weekend. Oh, no that's doubt. That's one of my favorite races. It's a pavement race. That's one of my race, favorite races of the one. year. Man, I would love to be able to go down to the Snowball Derby. That would be great. So, all right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, more Mostly Motorsports. Chet Christian. Chet Christner. Christner. I, I always screw that up. I always screw that up. Chet Christner. Drop the gonna, hammer. Drop the hammer is going to join us next right here on Mostly Motorsports. It's all brought to you by Rod and Supply, feature the Power Eye Midwest Lightning Sprints. We'll be back in a moment. Stay tuned. Listening to Mostly Motorsports with the Racing Boys. Rod and Supply is involved with a variety of motorsports as well as industrial applications with many different types of products. Since 1989, Rod and Supply has provided superior products priced competitively. Whether you're racing at the circle track or drag strip, rock climbing, or going off-road, Rod and Supply is an assortment of Rod and's radius rods and specialty products to keep your equipment moving. Rod and Supply's experienced staff is ready and willing to help you with your needs. Their promise is to continue to provide a superior product with superior service so you can stay in front of the field no matter what it is. To learn more, go to rodandsupply.com. and Supply is involved with a variety of motorsports as well as industrial applications with many different types of products. Since 1989, Rod and Supply has provided superior products priced competitively. Whether you're racing at the circle track or drag strip, rock climbing, or going off-road, Rod and Supply is an assortment of Rod and's radius rods and specialty products to keep your equipment moving. Rod and Supply's experienced staff is ready and willing to help you with your needs. Their promise is to continue to provide a superior product with superior service so you can stay in front of the field no matter what it is. To learn more, go to rodandsupply.com. Here at Specialty Sportswear, in-house, we do all of the screen printing, all the embroidery. We do some vinyl. The other add specialty items like your pens, magnets, notepads, calendars. You can actually buy that, build your business, and make it larger. We have the largest screen printing process and the largest embroidery anywhere around in the area. We can do stuff all the way from your school clubs to sports teams, a professional look in the office. If you can imagine it, we can do it for you. Rod and Supply is involved with a variety of motorsports as well as industrial applications with many different types of products. Since 1989, Rod and Supply has provided superior products priced competitively. Whether you're racing at the circle track or drag strip, rock climbing, or going off-road, Rod and Supply is an assortment of Rod and's radius rods and specialty products to keep your equipment moving. Rod and Supply's experienced staff is ready and willing to help you with your needs. Their promise is to continue to provide a superior product with superior service so you can stay in front of the field no matter what it is. To learn more, go to rodandsupply.com.
Race fans, the National Sprint Car Hall of Fame and Museum is open seven days a week, year-round, for you to come in and check out all of the wonderful race cars on display in the museum. And our online store at SprintCarStuff.com is open 24 hours a day for you to check out everything that we have in stock for Sprint Car fans. Whether it's for a birthday, anniversary, or Christmas, SprintCarStuff.com has it all. That's at the National Sprint Car Hall of Fame and Museum in Knoxville. When Steve died, the outpouring of love was amazing. These dollars had come together uh, to support us, and we realized, no, we didn't want to use them for us. We wanted to use them to help others. The foundation has done so much for so many people. It helps any, any family that has somebody, rather be a crew member or one of the drivers that get hurt, we can help them to get through the situation. I was injured in an on-wing spread car accident that broke my neck and left me with a spinal cord injury. I was in the hospital eight months and that got really, really expensive. So having that extra help to help push me and my family forward was a big deal. Yes, Steve's death is the reason the foundation exists, but it's Steve's life and it's the lives of racers everywhere is the reason we are able to do the work we do. Go harder, faster, stronger with Rod and Supply. Whether you are running industrial, farming equipment, or a race car, Rod and Supply has the assortment of rod ends, radius rods, and specialty products that will help you lead the field in performance. Our superior design means our rod ends last longer and perform better, giving you the edge on the track and saving you money. Contact Rod and Supply or order online today at rodandsupply.com. We don't just sell them, we race them. Rodandsupply.com, serving the racing community for over 30 years. Welcome back. It's mostly motorsports. It's all brought to you by Rod In Supply, featuring the Power Eye Midwest Lightning Sprints. Chet joins us now. Chet, how you doing? Oh, not too bad. I'm uh, getting rested up after our trip out to California. Man, you did an excellent job announcing those races this weekend. We I, we, we watched the nearly the entire thing. And you, you did such a great job, bud. I'm just telling you. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. That's always always nice to hear. Right. Um, you know, you're, you're starting to be one of the favorites when it comes to announcing races. I don't know if you know that or not, but a lot of people are starting to migrate towards you a little bit. Did you know that? Uh, no. <laughs> Actually, I didn't. I just I'm I'm just kind of out here doing my thing, and uh, I know we have good audiences, you know, and we get we get good response from the fans, and that's always nice to see and nice to hear and and that. But yeah, I wasn't wasn't aware that I was one of the favorites. Yeah, uh, well, I, I I hear it all the time from people that uh, listen to you, and I'm just telling you, a lot of people are starting to migrate towards you a little bit. So um, let's talk about the. Uh, Kyle Larson victory this weekend, man, that, that was a, uh, that was a, a, a little bit of a, a rough race for, uh, let's talk about Ryan Timms and who, who was the Drake Drake that got into it that that set up Larson to run second place behind CV. And that's all it took. Wasn't it? Well, yeah, it really was. And that, and, and honestly, if you look at, at Larson's track record, 
you know, coming out to race midgets or, or sprint cars or whatever the case may be. It really doesn't even take anything like that to set him up to be a factor at the end of the race. He's just right. He's just that good, and it, and he's winning across multiple divisions, you know. And that was something you see comments online, you know, and you read some of the stuff, and and people are like, "Well, yeah, he's he's in the best equipment and everything else." And yeah, he is, but at the same time, it's not always the same people tuning on those cars. Uh, you know, obviously he has a good relationship there with uh, with Silva, but right. the. Uh, it's not always the same people working on those cars as he moves across the different divisions. And he's still up front all the time. He's just a, an unbelievable talent. Right. I, I believe that Paul Silva is maybe one of the greatest crew chiefs in the business. Would you agree with that? Oh, without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah. Without a shadow of a doubt. And he has run well with, with other drivers in the past too. Obviously him and Rico hook up, team up and do really well, but, and that's, a conversation that I was privy to this weekend was just talking about the fact that obviously drivers are are a huge part of the equation on any team, but people that don't often get recognition are the really good crew chiefs. And there's good crew chiefs in different divisions than that. But, uh, but Paul is definitely, definitely one of the best of all time. Right. And and he picked up the championship in 09 in 2011 with the ASCS national sprint car tour and with Shane Stewart. And, and Shane and him, they really did a really good job up there at Knoxville, didn't they, Kurt? Uh, yeah, I mean, they had <laughs> Shane was really good at Knoxville. Yeah, there's no question about that. And of course, uh, you put Paul Silva together with Kyle Larson at Knoxville. We've seen that right. two of the last three years they've won the Knoxville Nationals. So uh, that combination is good, no matter what kind of a race car they're driving. I was want to uh, talk to you about the racetrack and. By the way, I think the the best video that I saw on Flow was you driving into the racetrack and taking people on a tour. For those of us that never been to Ventura Raceway, that is a cool video, and what a cool racetrack and the setting of that facility, no Ventura doubt. Raceway. Talk about that. Uh, just uh, what kind of a special setting that is out there. It, it, it is a very special setting, and it's been around for a long time. Actually, this year, uh, we just celebrated uh, Jim Naylor's 45th year with that racetrack. And uh, that's a lot of history. It's a it's a great location. It's on the fairgrounds out there. Um, the fairgrounds is – and a lot of people are, don't understand how the racetrack stays on the fairgrounds or how the st- fairground stays there. And it also functions as a staging area for fire crews. Whenever the wildfires, they have the, those issues out there. It's also an evacuation point for a lot of the farms around there because obviously they have – room for livestock to come in there and be, you know, if they're in danger of uh, a wildfire or something of that nature. So that kind of helps a little bit to keep that facility around the way it is. But the racetrack itself is all Jim Naylor. And what he, uh, you know, just the, the dedication and the love that he has put into that facility to keep it there and keep racing alive and well in Ventura, California, is just, is just unbelievable. I mean, he's dedicated his life to that. And uh, I, for one, appreciate it because that setting is second to none. I mean, that's from the tower where I am. If you're in the stands, your view of the ocean is blocked a little bit by the back of the stands. But if you're in the tower, I can just turn around and look out the window and just watch, uh, you know, the surfers, the kite surfers and people on the beach and the, and just everything going on there. And just just an unbelievable facility. It's, it's my favorite, my favorite that I've ever visited. Have you ever been to Ascot Park? 
I was not. No, I never made it out to Ascot. And everybody uh, obviously uh, dearly loves that place. It's much like Manzanita or uh, Reading in Pennsylvania. You know, yep, people uh, often uh, refer back to those those classic facilities that have been lost. And uh, unfortunately, I never made it to any of those. Yeah. It, it, so just so you know, I lived in Redondo Beach, California, back in the the early 80s. And I went to Ascot Park every week just to watch the races every week at Ascot Park, man. It was such a great facility. Um, it, it, it was top-notch and run by the Agajanians, which, let me tell you something, they do a, as good a job as anybody running these racetracks, don't they? Yes, and that's what uh, J.C. Jr. is actually involved with the Turkey Night out of Ventura Raceway, so they're still very involved, uh, you know, obviously in motorsports and that. But, yeah, that's – and it's funny, too – um, not funny, but um, I guess interesting would be a better way to put it, that whenever you travel out through California in that area and that, you still see a lot of Ascot apparel. You know, people keep the stuff, the, the collectibles and everything right. else. And I think that is a testament to the legacy of uh, the Agajanian family, that they had created something of that nature that still lives on to this day. Even though the track may be gone, its spirit is still very much alive, and that's, uh, that is a testament to them. 82 years this uh, event has been held. Uh, started out way back in 1934, which is now the site of uh, Television Studios Hollywood. And uh, Agajanian brought this thing back 1955. Ascot was where it was most of the years, but it's been on pavement at Irwindale, several different places, Paris Auto Speedway, but it really found a home here at Ventura since 2016, right? Yes. Yeah. And that's, uh, and I think it's a good home for it too. And I know that it, it, there's a lot of our racing is filled with traditionalists and they don't like to see things change, even though things do need to change. They need to evolve if we're going to keep people involved and the younger generation involved. And that was something that I, I thought about this year. This was the second year that it was held on Saturday night. And there's still people that are angry that it moved from Turkey night, quote unquote, uh, from Thanksgiving night to Saturday night. There's still people that are angry about that. But at the same time, when I look out of the tower and it's a sold out crowd uh, for the second year in a row, then I'm thinking that maybe that was the right move, but mm -hmm. there's still, it's funny to me that there's still a portion of the fan base that is upset that it's no longer on a Thursday night, but yeah, it's a good, it's a good home for it. And it's uh, I think it's a, it's a great format for the race. And obviously we took a little bit of rubber this year and you're going to have that. I mean, that's just, uh, unfortunately was the nature of the beast this year. Next year, it may not be the same next year. We may have a little bit more texture to the racetrack. And that was the thing is the track was so smooth this year. Uh, but, uh, that's all part of it. I mean, that's, that's dirt track racing. And it also something else that I, that I think about often too, is, you know, people have a tendency to get on, uh, Anytime you have a track that is not what they consider the ideal track, whether it be dusty or it takes some rubber or it's rough or whatever, they want to get on a promoter that they didn't put enough effort into the track prep. And I would challenge you to show me a promoter out there that does not try to put on the surface and the best racing each and every night that they open the racetrack. So it wasn't right. from lack of effort, um, you know, that we did take rubber this year. It's just what happened. We had a fierce wind that kicked up right at feature time and Kyle even uh, talked about that in his interview that it dried the track out so fast when that wind came across there and 
Uh, it just wasn't much we could do about it. But at the end of the day, if you go back and watch the highlight, it was still a great race. And yeah. that's uh, that's one of the challenges. A beautiful, picturesque, we talked about it, next to the ocean, but that also creates some challenges uh, that uh, you just can't overcome a lot of times in prepping a racetrack. Right. Did we lose him? I don't oh, know. no, I'm here. I'm sorry. I didn't realize that was a question directed to me. Oh, no, oh, yeah. 100%. <laughs> right, yeah. I, did, I didn't want to hold the conversation. No, no, um, that's okay. No, you're 100% correct. And that's the thing, too, that, and I talked about that a little bit whenever I was announcing, whenever you sit on the coastline like that, the tide is, uh, is something you have to take consideration, too, and I'm sure that's something Jim was thinking about because high tide came in at 834, I think it was, or 838. Uh, on feature event night, well, whenever the tide comes in, it's going to push moisture back up through the racetrack. And it is so easy to get a really loose, rough racetrack when that happens. And the fact that it stayed smooth all night, um, I kind of took note of that. I'm not sure if the fans really, if it registered with them how hard that is to do on a coastline. But, right. uh, yeah, he kept it smooth all night. And that easily could have been a really rough racetrack. And then we would have junked a bunch of race cars. And that's that's no good for anyone. Right. Uh, at the start of the race, uh, Taylor Reimer and uh, I think it was Mitchell Moles, wasn't it? And, and was it Brody Fusion? That, that Brody Fusion and Mitchell Moles got upside down, right? Right, right at the beginning of the race. And, and I think Jade Avedesian got a little piece of that action, didn't she? Yeah, and that centered down into the work area. And uh, with the United States Auto Club, the rules are that you have 60 seconds in the work area once the lineup is set on the racetrack, but you only get that 60 seconds once. And unfortunately, she had to go to the work area, and I'm speaking of Jade Avedisian, had to go to the work area for that early incident that happened on, like, lap two. Later in the race, she had to go to the work area, and she didn't have that guaranteed time anymore, and I feel like that cost her a really good finish in that race. But, um, yeah, it was just uh, that happened early, and it was just one of those racing deals, you know, where – Somebody got a little squirreled up, and it stacked up some pretty good race cars. Right. Did she get a little impatient there getting into the back of Justin Grant? Uh, Yeah, I think she was just uh, – there's a – and I think about that, too, with these young racers. Uh, they're extremely talented. They're coming out of micro racing uh, where it's very, very much uh, – I don't want to say a contact sport, but more contact than you would have racing in the midgets and that, but – uh, you know, whenever you have a young racer like that, there's a lot of pressure on her. She's she's getting a lot of press right now. Right. And so I'm sure that she's putting a lot of pressure on herself. And maybe in a situation like that where you have the Turkey Night Grand Prix that's a huge deal and it's on an international stage, uh, that maybe sometimes you try just a little bit too hard. And that's something that will come with experience. And you can't really – you can't really fault her for that because she is trying uh, to the best of her ability and, and, and to her experience. And But as time goes on, she'll mature and she'll settle down a little bit and pick and choose a little bit better. But right now, she just it's, she wants to go, and that is a girl that has a tremendous amount of talent, and she is definitely going places. Uh, so, yeah, we'll see, we'll see her develop. But, yeah, she was just a little impatient during that race, but – Again, youth and enthusiasm. That was a pretty wild night for her. She flipped it in qualifying, too, didn't she? Yeah. Oh, yeah. She's always going for it. She is not one to uh, rest on her laurels, as they say. Right, yeah. Uh, so what would you think of the uh, USAC NOS Energy Drink Midget National Championship season? What is your thoughts on that? 
Logan Seaman. I thought it was a tremendous season. Yeah. Uh, the I thought that overall it was it was a very good season, and I know that there was there was a time early in the year whenever midgets were catching a lot of grief because of uh, you know those midget racers and stuff like that and contact and chaos and stuff. But overall, if you go back and look through our season, it was a very good season. It's very competitive. Um, we have to take into consideration, and and I talk about this most nights whenever we qualify. I would say. 80% or more of our field are all within half a second in qualifying. And that's a testament to the equipment. It's a testament to the drivers. And so whenever you have that close to competition and you have uh, cars that are that close in performance, it is, you know, it's going to be a very elbows up style racing, which I right. think is glorious. That's what makes it the show it is. And I think midget racing is perhaps the most exciting racing on dirt right now. Yeah, no Talk doubt. about the season Logan CB had. I mean, he started off the season at the Chili Bowl, winning that uh, Indiana Sprint, uh, Midget Week. Uh, he, he won two races in the same day at two different racetracks uh, earlier this year, a Silver Crown race followed by a Midget race, and then uh, sweeping the three USAC divisions at the Four Crown Nationals had to be the big highlight. No, yeah, that was huge. And that's... And Logan's one of those drivers, too, who's obviously tremendously talented, but he's also one of those drivers that if he gets in the proper mental state, you are going to have a tough time beating him. Because I feel like that whenever he is on and whenever he feels like he is on, you could throw a mediocre car at him and he could put it up front. And he actually tied uh, a record there at Turkey Night. That was his 22nd top 10 finish in a row. Uh, that he did, which uh, uh, tied a record from back in the 90s uh, with Jason Leffler, I believe, was, uh, was the, set the record in like 97. And so Logan Seavey is just, he's on right now. And I think next year, whenever they come out, Abacus Racing, obviously going to be running across all three divisions. Uh, but next year, whenever Logan comes out of the gate, he's going to be a threat to pull off a triple crown. Do, do you think people going into the season thought that Justin Grant was the guy to beat for the championship? Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and, and Justin's another one of those. And that's, you know, he's run every feature event for, I forget how many years now, across all three national divisions. He picked up the, uh, uh, the USAC National Drivers Championship, the Mike Curb USAC National Drivers Championship, was a ten thousand dollar bonus. But he accumulated the most points across all three divisions, and it's a it's a deal where, uh, with the level of competition that you find with the USAC these days, you only need a couple little missteps, and you're not going to win the championship. You basically right. have to have darn near a perfect season, yeah. and I think that's that caught him a little bit. But he is still a factor, and he'll he'll be a factor. And next year with RMS Racing, uh, focusing on just one car, which is Justin Grant. And I know Dave Estep really would like to have a national championship. I think that he is, is again, going to be a huge threat with the Nostra Energy Drink National Midget Series. And if he gets that midget championship, boom, he's your eighth Triple Crown winner in the history of uh, the United States Auto Club. How about Ryan Timms? He sweeps the weekend with the non-wing cars, and he ends up running fourth in the points uh, with the uh, USAC National Midget Series. Um, what do you think about Ryan Timms as a talent? I think he's a very, very talented young racer. And that was, I actually swung by the pits to talk to him at Merced. Um, and just, and, and the reason I did so is because I had, to me, it looked like he was getting a little down on himself with the midget. He wasn't getting, I don't think, the, uh, 
the finishes that he expected of himself. And uh, I just swung by just to talk with him for a little bit. And, and I just was wanted to say, hey, don't get down on yourself. You're, you're talented. You're just in a little bit of a slump right now. Right. And I don't think that talks what did it. <laughs> but when he came out of the gate after that, my goodness gracious, he was on fire. And so, yeah, I led all 30 laps with the sprint car. Uh, you know, obviously very good in the wing car. He's good in the midget. And, uh, yeah, just uh, I really like Ryan a lot. In addition to be talented, he's also one of the nicest guys to talk to in the pit area. And I like I like good kids And I and because I was a school teacher for 11 years. And when I see a kid, I think if I think to myself, I would love to have that kid in class, he would be a lot of fun. Right. And I know they're a good kid, and that's what I think about Ryan. Ryan Timms is a, a guy that he's only 17 years old. Can you imagine what he's going to be when he's 30 years old and has all that experience behind him? You know, and that's, and I feel like the future of motorsports is bright. Um, right. And I say that because you have Jade Evans and you have Ryan uh, Tims. You also have Corey Day. I'm very impressed with Corey Day. Uh, I feel like he is, is going to be a tremendous talent. He's going to be a senior uh, this next year, I think whenever he's done with high school, you'll see him move on in advance. But he picked up the NARC 410 championship this year. But there are so many good young drivers. Gavin Miller from Allentown, Pennsylvania. I really like watching him race. But there is a, a tremendous amount of talent right now uh, that is coming up through the ranks. And I think that these next um, probably 10, 15 years are going to be insane with the races that we see. I will see if you agree with this, chat. Uh Two of the big highlights for me in the USAC season, and we're kind of encompassing all the divisions right now, has to be the BC-39. What a wild night that was. And also, <laughs> I happen to be in the stands at Belleville to watch one of the incredible experiences I've ever had in racing, watching that Silver Crown race at Belleville. Your thoughts? I would agree with you 100%. That to to kick off the season, the Silver Crown season, and that's a that's a series that um, I I really enjoy the Silver Crown series. A lot of racers enjoy the Silver Crown series because it's a, uh, for lack of a better term, mature series. So it, it brings a lot of uh, talent into it, and obviously some younger talent coming into it now. But it's it's raced in a different way, but it has picked up the pace tremendously these last couple of years. I mean, they just go all out for every lap in the silver crown where in the past there was a lot of, I don't want to say riding around, but you were just logging laps and then you could race the last 15 or 20 laps. Well, that has right. changed. You got to be up on the wheel the whole time, but that Belleville race was absolutely incredible with the silver crown series and just kind of kicked off a great season for them. Uh, but yeah, the BC 39, actually the, every night of the BC 39 was a lot of fun. It was exciting. Uh, there was a, a lot of good storylines from that, but, uh, both of those were definitely, definitely highlights for the, the USAC season. Chet, we can't thank you enough for being on the show today. We, we, we can't thank you enough for being a part of it. And it's uh, mostly motorsports. It's again, it's all brought to you by rod and supply featuring the power. I Midwest lightning sprints. Thank you so much for coming on the show today, man. We love to have you on in the future. Well, I appreciate that, and, uh, and thanks for asking me to be on. And I'm sorry it didn't work out uh, in the past. There, you caught me. I was in uh, Yosemite or walking around there and uh, hiking around whenever we tried the last time. But next time, I'll try to be more more available. So yeah. the season is over. What do you do for your, with yourself now over the next few weeks? Do you you, well, you do a little snowmobile ro racing, don't you? Yeah, the season never ends. Never ends for me. I actually. 
I'll be at PRI, the PRI show in Indy coming up here, uh, not this weekend, but next weekend. Then I go to the Gateway Dirt Nationals to do content down there. Then I'll be at the Tulsa Shootout uh, to finish off the year. And then next year, we start with ice oval racing, world championship snowmobile derbies. We have a vintage weekend and then a world championship weekend on the Half Mile Ice Oval in Eagle River, Wisconsin at the Derby Complex. Uh, so that's that's my near future, I should say. And right. then next year, I'm not sure what it will bring, but uh, we'll we'll have something. All right. Chet, thanks so much for joining us on the show today. We can't thank you enough for doing so. Well, it's certainly my pleasure. Thanks so much. All right. Happy holidays to you. There you have it. There's Chet. Man, he he, he is a really good announcer. He's, yeah, he's got a lot of cliches a lot. as yeah. well, doesn't he? He had another video up on Float. Did you see it? He uh -uh. was with Justin Grant uh, trying to demonstrate how slide jobs work. And so they had these little... Uh, uh, Little cars, cars in a in a box, and so it said, Justin, you pick out the two cars and show me how slide job works. And so they dug out a little racetrack there, and uh, it was a great demonstration that Justin Grant had about uh, yeah how you do a slide job. Right. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, more mostly motorsports. It's all brought to you by Rod and Supply, featuring the Power Eye Midwest Lightning Sprints. We'll be back in a moment. Stay tuned. Listening to Mostly Motorsports with the Racing Boys. Rod and Supply is involved with a variety of motorsports as well as industrial applications with many different types of products. Since 1989, Rod and Supply has provided superior products priced competitively. Whether you're racing at the circle track or drag strip, rock climbing, or going off-road, Rod and Supply is an assortment of Rod and Radius Rods and specialty products to keep your equipment moving. Rod and Supply's experienced staff is ready and willing to help you with your needs. Their promise is to continue to provide a superior product with superior service so you can stay in front of the field no matter what it is. To learn more, go to rodandsupply.com. and Supply is involved with a variety of motorsports as well as industrial applications with many different types of products. Since 1989, Rod and Supply has provided superior products priced competitively. Whether you're racing at the circle track or drag strip, rock climbing, or going off-road, Rod and Supply is an assortment of Rod and Radius Rods and specialty products to keep your equipment moving. Rod and Supply's experienced staff is ready and willing to help you with your needs. Their promise is to continue to provide a superior product with superior service so you can stay in front of the field no matter what it is. To learn more, go to rodandsupply.com. Here at Specialty Sportswear, in-house, we do all of the screen printing, all the embroidery. We do some vinyl. The other add specialty items like your pens, magnets, notepads, calendars. You can actually buy that, build your business, to make it larger. We have the largest screen printing process and the largest embroidery anywhere around in the area. We can do stuff all the way from your school clubs to sports teams, a professional look in the office. If you can imagine it, we can do it for you. 
Rod and Supply is involved with a variety of motorsports as well as industrial applications with many different types of products. Since 1989, Rod and Supply has provided superior products priced competitively. Whether you're racing at the circle track or drag strip, rock climbing, or going off-road, Rod and Supply is an assortment of Rod and's radius rods and specialty products to keep your equipment moving. Rod and Supply's experienced staff is ready and willing to help you with your needs. Their promise is to continue to provide a superior product with superior service so you can stay in front of the field no matter what it is. To learn more, go to rodandsupply.com. Race fans, the National Sprint Car Hall of Fame and Museum is open seven days a week, year-round, for you to come in and check out all of the wonderful race cars on display in the museum. And our online store at SprintCarStuff.com is open 24 hours a day for you to check out everything that we have in stock for Sprint Car fans. Whether it's for a birthday, anniversary, or Christmas, SprintCarStuff.com has it all. That's at the National Sprint Car Hall of Fame and Museum in Knoxville. When Steve died, the outpouring of love was amazing. These dollars had come together um, to support us, and we realized, no, we didn't want to use them for us. We wanted to use them to help others. The foundation has done so much for so many people. It helps any, any family that has somebody, rather be a crew member or one of the drivers that get hurt, we can help them to get through the situation. I was injured in a non-wing sprint car accident that broke my neck and left me with a spinal cord injury. I was in the hospital eight months and that got really, really expensive. So having that extra help to help push me and my family forward was a big deal. Yes, Steve's death is the reason the foundation exists, but it's Steve's life and it's the lives of racers everywhere is the reason we are able to do the work we do. Go harder, faster, stronger with Rod and Supply. Whether you are running industrial, farming equipment, or a race car, Rod and Supply has the assortment of rod ends, radius rods, and specialty products that will help you lead the field in performance. Our superior design means our rod ends last longer and perform better, giving you the edge on the track and saving you money. Contact Rod and Supply or order online today at rodandsupply.com. We don't just sell them, we race them. Rodandsupply.com, serving the racing community for over 30 years. Welcome back. It's mostly motorsports. It's all brought to you by Rod and Supply, featuring the Power Eye Midwest Lightning Sprints. Joining us now is Ayrton Jennington. Ayrton, what are you doing, bud? Oh, not too much. I'm just uh, going through a bunch of stuff and getting ready for the off season right now. 
Yeah. So so what does it take to go through the off season to get ready prepared for next year? I know that you're running your own team, so tell us what all entails in that. Um, you know, really like once we get done with the year, the first thing we try to do is uh go through an inventory of everything we have left and uh you know, see where we may be down on equipment. Um, you know, if we tore a lot up, you know, for example, usually our first thing we try to get going through is our rear ends and our wheels um those are usually the two two items that you uh you know you kind of cycle out the most so right now we're just going through wheels and rear ends and making sure you know we we can get what we need to get and get it here you know when we can get it so right uh you know we do that uh we you know basically the biggest deal is just inventorying and getting everything lined up so you can get your orders placed and you know get stuff coming so you can start putting cars together and then you know obviously uh the other thing you try to do in the off season is you try to look for sponsors and uh you know try and get some more funding for the next year yeah no doubt and and how long does it take do do you send all your motors back and get them all freshened up during the winter yeah usually uh you know we'll we'll try to get all of our motors ran out to the end of their cycle during this during the season and um, you know, we may have a motor that's, you know, a little, like, not completely fresh, but may have, you know, three or four nights on it. We'll start the next year on that one and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, for the most part, all of our motors got sent off, um, you know, right before the last Power Eye weekend in October or, you know, right after that weekend. Uh, I think we got home, you know, Sunday night or Monday, Sunday night, Monday morning, and then I think we had the motor shipped out by Wednesday. So, yeah, um, you know, you, you try to get all that stuff going as soon as possible, see so your stuff, you know, the first in line at the engine builders and, uh, you know, stuff like that. So, we, you know, we take cars. If we got a car that's tore up, we'll take it and get it fixed and, you know, decide if we're going to keep it or race it or whatever like that too. So, right. Uh, yeah, just a lot of, lot of small stuff. Like, I feel like we're almost more busy in the off season in a few ways because once you get racing – um, it's kind of just repetitive. You're kind of doing the same thing, and in the off season, you're completely doing everything constantly. So, um, you know, we'll tear all of our cars apart, go through them, uh, you know, make sure everything's as fresh as it can possibly be, and then you know, put them back together and double check everything. So, right, um, you know, starts as soon as the checker flag falls. We're, you know, the first thing we do is we get everything cleaned up, and then it's time to start going through and organizing. You, you, you've got your merchandise for sale on your Facebook page. A lot of people can go there, and, and you've taken a little bit of a discount off of there, haven't you, with your merchandise? Yeah, yeah, you know, it's Cyber Monday, so, you know, if you, anyone's listening that wants to get some merchandise, just head over to my website. It's uh, ag3racing.com, and then code 19, get 19% off. So most of our stuff I've already had marked down price-wise anyways, so another percentage off. Like, I think our shirts are like 10 bucks or something, so... Um, pretty cheap and then you know obviously you know i got a, like a you know we'll i'll have some pretty cool things like i'm gonna try and do some unique items like i got some you know wheel halves that i got tore up that maybe i can put like a clock in and try and do something kind of cool you know try and do something unique for people if they're you know interested in stuff like that so um yeah you know i'm gonna try and have some cool stuff for sale this off season too you know it's another way too of uh you know maybe like my torn up parts someone wants to hang in their man cave we can get you know whether it's a hundred dollars or fifty bucks or whatever we sell it for, you know that money can go back to the team, and you know get us tires or methanol or pit passes or whatever it takes to get racing next year. 
Hey, Ayrton, congratulations on winning that Power Eye championship. Just uh, how big was that to pull off a championship? Yeah, you know, it's really cool. Like, it was my first 410 championship. Uh, you know, we won the ASCS Warrior Region Championship back in 2020. And, um, you know, the Power Eye deal, we didn't initially plan on running the full thing. And, um, you know, we planned on running most of the races, but not the full points. And then, you know, we kind of weren't doing very good at Knoxville. And the Power Eye schedule kind of fell to where some of their races we weren't going to hit. We were going to be at Knoxville. They got rained out and played into the, you know, our, our favor where we could go run the points. And we're like, well, you know, we'll go to the lake. I think it was back in June. Um, I was like, well, let's go to the lake instead of go to Knoxville and just see what happens. And we ended up winning that night. And I was like, you know what, like this makes more sense. Like, you know, at that point, Roger was still racing, you know, he was leading at that time. And I was like, you know what, I think we can, you know, if we can put good runs together, we can catch Roger. And, you know, if we can catch Roger, then, you know, that's the guy we're going to be racing. And, um, you know, so that's kind of what I was, you know, in the end, it ended up working out for us, you know, where, you know, it sucks Roger got hurt, but he ended up getting hurt. And then me and Joe B both missed a race and we just kind of, you know, had a better second half of the year than Joe did. Um, you know, we had a few other guys that were running it full time that had, you know, engine issues. So we may not have had a full, you know, big roster like we were, like power I was originally going to have just because of, you know, equipment stuff and people getting hurt and whatever, but um, you know, it's anytime you can win a championship, it's pretty cool. Um, you know, you can add it to your resume. Sponsors like that stuff. It's really good to add to your career. Um, you know, and then at the end of the season, the best part is when you get when you come down to the end of the year, it's middle of the season or middle of the you know middle of the off season. Um, you know, to get a little bit extra money from a point fund, uh, it, you know, it'll go a long way. So, yeah, um, you know, it's, the other thing too is well, I remember when I first started running three sixties. Um, you know, there was no 410 race and really in the Midwest, right. You know, the outlaws would come through every now and then and you had Knoxville and that was about it. And then Houston's reopened and we got Houston's back and then Knoxville's pumped up their purse. Houston's pumped up their purse. Kenny Brown with power eyes pumped up a really great purse for, you know, Missouri 410s. And then, you know, with a high limit, and the outlaws coming through the Midwest, it's going to be uh, you know, really, really good time to be a Missouri 410 racer, which, you know, when I started, running 410s even in 2020 i never would have seen this this quick you know so right a uh, huge shout out to power eye and kenny brown for helping missouri you know become i i feel like right now the midwest is the best place to be if you're going to be a uh, true outlaw racer um you know i think our purses are the best and i think our competition is just going to keep growing right let, let me ask you a question about the high limit series you know the, it's been more of a regional act as of lately, but now that they're they're going to be going to the West Coast, and, and that kind of makes it a little bit unfeasible for some of the teams to to go out there and run up at Skagit, down at uh, Chico, and, and run up and down the West Coast. It, that's going to make it a little tough on people, isn't it? Yeah, you know, I think um, you know that that was a lot of outlaw teams like i know they were kind of like didn't like going to the west coast and not and not being able to race you know they would go out there and they would sit for a while or whatever i know a lot of outlaw teams didn't like that and um you know i mean you know obviously with brad owning chico we knew you know you kind of had a feeling when the high limit deal was going national that chico would be one of their races just because of brad owning it you know so um yeah it makes it tough you know that's where like if you wanted to do a national series right now 
Um, I don't know if the Outlaws are going to California or not. I haven't really seen any schedules or, you know, super big hints. I know they acted like they were, but who knows, you know. So, um, yeah, it makes it tough because, you know, that, that trek up to California, you know, it's no easy trek. And then, you know, having to, you know, go back and forth across the country does not make it easy on a team. So, uh, you know, that's kind of a, a deterrence for some smaller teams. Like I think some smaller all-star teams that, you know, if it would have been a more regional high limit deal where they may have done everything they're going to do except West coast. I think some of them guys may have stayed on the hot, you know, went from the all-star to the high limit thing where, you know, guys like that now, like it's going to be kind of hard for them to do it. You know, it's going to be unfeasible for some teams. So, right. Would, would, uh, would you consider running the all-star if they kept in a regional act? Would you, would you have went it over in that direction maybe a little bit? Yeah, I think if the All-Stars would have blended a little more in the Midwest and the Missouri and Iowa and kind of around this area more, it would have been a very, um, you know, more feasible deal. Like, I think I would tended to go that direction here shortly. Um, you know, but right now, if you want to go on a national scene, like even the All-Stars, they were, they were, they were national in a way, you know, because they raced a lot of places, a lot of states, whatever, but... You know, they weren't a true national series, like, you know, going all over the West Coast, East Coast thing. So, um, you know, I think that was a great stepping stone for teams that wanted to get on the road that didn't want to bite off the outlaws right away. Um, you know, but, you know, who knows? Like, that could come back in a few years. You never know. So, um, it'll be interesting, you know, like right now, like I think, you know, kind of like what I said, like right now it's best to be a true independent outlaw for a team like mine. Um, you know, we can run the power eye stuff. We can run high limit. We can run outlaws. And then, you know, when we're not doing those, they're really, you know, with the way the scheduling is going to look, I think we're not going to have a lot of free weekends to go play around. You know, we'll be so busy doing all those three series there alone. Um, you know, we'll still hit Knoxville and Houston's and, you know, try and run some of the Maverick series in Indiana. Cause I think some of them places will be really cool to race. But, yeah, it would definitely be tough to be a, uh, you know, want to go on the road right now because I think if both series end up going to California, like, that's a big track. You know, a guy like Brent Marks or, um, you know, any other PA team that may be looking at, like, the Macri's, like, they're looking at doing something like that. Like, how do you justify going to California, you know, when you can stay home and race for, you know, 8,000 or 10,000 to win shows, whatever right. they're going to have those weeks. So, <laughs> it'll definitely be tough, I think. I think it'll deter more East Coast teams to stay in regional where, you know, maybe someone, a Midwest team, like they may go out and do it, just, you know, get after it. But, you know, who knows what's going to happen there. Is high limit, uh, I, I assume they're going to have a separate midweek series because, you know, Kyle Larson's going to race that. Uh, would that be something that you would take a look at, uh, the, the midweek series, which is kind of separate and apart from their national series? Yeah, I think their midweek series, uh, has a lot of Midwest races. Um, you know, obviously they announced they're going back to Eagle. Um, I forgot where else they said. I know they're going back to Eagle, which is close. And, you know, if they're doing Eagle, they have, you know, three or four other ones within a few, you know, four-hour radius, and it makes sense for us. We would definitely look at doing, doing a lot of the midweek stuff. Um, you know, full-time in the midweek series would kind of depend on funding and uh, almost depend on, kind of who you'll be, you know, who's all going to be there and stuff. Because I know, you know, it's like you kind of got to weigh out your odds. Like sometimes, you know, say they got one at Grandview again, you know, is it feasible for me to go to Grandview? You know, right. like that's where we kind of balance it out and see what's around us at the time once all the schedules come out. And, you know, we'll we'll make a decision. And 
hopefully I can have something decided by, you know, the end of January, I think, is kind of when I want to have a full game plan of what we're going to do for next season. So do you uh, establish your entire schedule ahead of the season, or do you kind of leave it open to change as the season goes on? Um, you know, for us right now, I think it, we, we're we better off leaving it open to change just because, um, you know, I don't really – I don't you know, we're not to the point where we have the, you know, big funding to where, you, you know, say we're having bad runs and – we're not running up front or we're not getting the results we need. Like we don't have the funding to stay out there and just keep plugging away. Like, you know, for us, it'd be better to say, all right, we're not running good. Like we need to come home for two to three weeks and try and pick up a win and run up front again and get our momentum back. And then we can go back out and do that stuff. So, um, you know, it all just depends. Um, you know, if we had the funding, I would love to go, you know, hash it out all year long on a series like that. But you, know, you got to do what's best for your team financially. And, uh, you know, confidence-wise, and sometimes that's, you know, just kind of leaving it open to how you're running, so. Well, last year you really had to adapt to a lot of change. This year you're a little bit more certain of what's going to happen in 2024 because when you had a, a year ago at this time, things changed a lot for you, didn't it? Yeah, you know, a year ago this time we uh, we just kind of, you know, we had just went into separate ways with our crew chief and, um, you know, then it was kind of my turn to start figuring everything out on setup and things like that. And then, you know, once we got the season rolling, it was probably about a month and a half, month, month and a half in, you know, uh, the Fisher deal split. And then we ended up, then I ended up, you know, I think we were in like four trailers, three, three, three trailers, three weeks in a row. And then the Hayward deal came together and then I was racing for, uh, the Kroll family up at Houston. So we were, we were bouncing around. I was bouncing around a lot, so I had to do a lot of different adapting. And, um, you know, I kind of, you know, once we got to around nationals time, I just kind of told myself I just need to kind of stick with my own deal for now and get, get back to being comfortable with my own stuff and kind of get my stuff figured out. And, you know, I think it paid off. Like, we didn't we didn't run super great at the end of the year. Um, you know, we kind of struggled here and there, and I think it was just, you know, uh, we didn't really have any help at that point. It was just me and one other guy trying to, trying to race a lot we had good runs we had bad luck and just couldn't get anything rolling at the end of the year so um, i think next year if i can you know still working out some kinks for next year's plans with you know what all we're exactly going to do but um, i think if we can get something patted down you know before first of the year we can you know start building in that direction and uh, you never, you know, I feel like the more comfortable i get and i get the right people in place and in, in place to help me and I think we'll be really good next year. You know, a, a lot of people don't realize how difficult it is to get people to stay out on the road with you. I, I don't think people realize the commitment it takes from an individual to stay out on the road with you all year long, right? Yeah, it's tough, especially whenever, uh, you know, if you get someone from out of state or you get someone from, you know, say you even get someone three or four hours away, well, you know, for them to, to be in the shop full time and be working every day, they got to relocate, you know, and it's even harder when you get guys from, you know, across the country, like if you hired someone from Pennsylvania or Ohio, like they got to pick up their entire life and move, you know? So it's hard to find someone that can really be a hundred percent all in on it and be dedicated to it. And, you know, the best way to look at it is it's like, you know, yeah, of course I'm willing to do that for my own career, but is someone else willing right. to do that for my career as well? Yeah, no doubt. So you got to you got to find the right person, and 
you know, it's not it's not cut out for everyone. You know, like you can have a guy that, you know, could live right down the road that works out great, but it's just not what they want to do and, you know, may not work the full time. You know, they may be good for some of it, but they may not be good for all of it. And, you know, it all comes down to what that person wants to do in their life and if they want to be invested in this in this business because this is a really cutthroat business when you get down to it and you know you spend you know months upon months away from family not home never sleeping in the same place and right constantly going so to find to find guys that are willing to give that up for something like this it's very tough and uh, you know when you find those guys you got to make sure you keep them because they're because they're very very important to make sure your team goes around full circle well as you know i traveled with the lucas Oil ases national sprint car tour for 13 years and it, it's the same thing in the broadcasting business as well it, it, it's hard to find good help and it's hard to keep that help around for a long time it, it, it's just it's very difficult i don't think people really realize how difficult it is to keep people out on the road with you yeah like you can look at uh even the kkr guys like um their their uh, tire guy now he's leaving to go do something different i think he was with kkr for six years and um you know that's a that's a long stint to be on that road you know doing that job you know that's a tough job to do is being the tire guy because you're constantly going um, I feel like the tire guy has the most important job other than the crew chief right. as far as crew members go because he's the, uh, you know, he's got to have everything. He he does the most work, in my opinion. Right. So to have a guy that stays on the road with one team for that long is super tough to have. And, you know, the way I look at it is if you can have any guy stick with your team for more than three years, especially on the road, just like you said, like broadcasting, if you can get a guy for three years to stay out there with you, like that's pretty impressive. Yeah, no doubt. You, know, you guys have to gel. You guys have to get along. And then, you know, they got to be willing to sacrifice that much of their life consistently to be out there with you. You know, the, I, I, I don't think people really understand it, how the, the communication between the driver and the teammates um, – they they have to gel, right? That that there's there's got to be a chemistry involved there. Yeah, I feel like there's times where, uh, you know, if you and your crew chief gel really well, um, you know, I look at it as, for example, whenever my, we first hired Chad, uh, you know, when he came in, he was fresh off Brown's deal. He he was ready for something new. Um, you know, we just started running good, so I was always excited and pumped up and you know, just kind of fit at that time. And we were able to go out there in 21 when we got together. And really, man, I feel like we were, you know, the little bit here, a little bit there away from maybe winning two all-star races, almost won an outlaw race, probably could have bagged off, you know, 10 wins from the end, from August to October. You know, I think we were really, really good. And, um, you know, then you kind of go through a spell where you have a bunch of different changes within our team. Like we've relocated and, other stuff's changed within a team and sometimes when you're doing all that changing it can deter people's focus from what needs to be you know achieved and what you need to be working on and you know sometimes things like that can put a little bit of a mend on the relationship and it's tough to get it back sometimes and you know that was our biggest deal me and chad just really didn't get along all that well in the later half of us working together and um you know it's just part of it so 
Uh, it's tough because if you don't get along with somebody, it doesn't matter if he's giving you the best race car in the country or the worst race car in the country. It ain't fun, and you ain't going to enjoy driving it. And you right. don't want to do it, you know, and then they ain't going to want to work on it. You know, so it makes it a tough relationship if you guys can't get along. So, right. um, you know, if you got that tension, it's it's really tough to sometimes iron it out. Sometimes it can't. You know, every team going up and down the road goes through it, and uh, it's just part of it, you know, and it's just really de- it really just depends on how strong your relationship can be with that person. And, uh, you know, it's like a marriage. We always compare it to a marriage, you know. It's like you guys going to work it out, you can get a divorce. you got to figure it out quick, you know. Right. Can't, yeah, I mean, can't, you're... Struggle, can't struggle too long. Right. And, and in a lot of ways, it's even worse than that because, I mean, you're with these people all the time. You, you, yep. you're yeah, never I able mean, to get away right yeah, it's uh there's times we're out in the road and um you know when we're out in the road you know say like we were in pennsylvania for two and a half weeks out there in 2022 it's like you're you're in the same room with that person you're working in the same area of that person you never get a break right you know so you're constantly there and you're constantly in that situation where you know it's not like, you know, when you and your wife are fighting, you guys may go to different jobs and you guys get a break, come back. Oh, okay, you know right. what? Yeah, well, we're fighting about was stupid. Well, if you're constantly with a person, it's hard to fight to figure it out sometimes. Yeah. So, I can't imagine yeah. what life would be like if I had to spend every waking hour with Scott Trailer. Yeah, see, yeah, it's, yeah, it's tough. <laughs> right. It's tough. Now, we, we get along great, but, yeah, I, I, I get it. Boy, you're with these people all the time. Hey, hey just so you know, Kurt, <laughs> Kirk and I have been together for 23 years, just so you know that. That's impressive. But we That's don't impressive. spend 24-7 together. We don't spend. Like you would a crew chief and a driver. We only spend yeah. a little time in the studio together, yeah. don't we? Yeah. Yeah, we, no, and, and that's why I think it was tough, too, was, you know, whenever whenever you're with someone, whenever you got a crew chief like that, like for me, like I play a big role in my team because, you know, it, whether I have – a full crew or not, you know, I've never had a full crew where I got a tire guy, a car guy, and a crew chief. You know, I've always, I've always played the role in the team of, I am also this guy, or I'm also this guy. So I've constantly been in it where I'm doing most of the work or some of the work, whatever you want to say. Right. Uh, You know, so when you're in it, like as part of a crew guy and the driver, so you're, I never get a break, you know, where it's like, if I feel like if I did have, a crew chief, a tire guy, a car chief. I didn't have to do anything. Those relationships would be a little bit easier with the crew chief because we wouldn't have to be around each other every single day. Right. You know, so it's good to get your own space and have your own, your own separation, you know? Right. So, but there's also times that the relationship's really good. It's better to be together the whole time because if it's really good and you're better and you know, you're constantly together, that bond doesn't get broken. Which right. makes it very impressive, Ayrton, that you're, you're able to be as successful as you are, as limited as you are, and not having all the team members that uh, a lot of these teams have. The competition is incredible. That says a there. lot about your yeah. team, really, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah and I, I'm really lucky. You know, I got a guy, uh, his name's Steve, and he's been with us for, oh, I'd say 2018, you know, and he's uh, he's a little bit older you know, but he still gets at it every single day, and you know he cares about it just as much as me, and he believes in it in my team, you know, and he treats it as his own. And you know, a guy like that's irreplaceable for me. So I'm really lucky to have a guy like that. So it makes me a little more, you know, confident and self-aware about what I got going on. And 
you know, I feel like next year if I can get someone a little bit younger in there to help me out on some stuff and, right, uh, you know, if I can get that next piece of the puzzle put into place and then, you know, we start building from those and then, you know, maybe get some more sponsors, have better runs, then you can put another piece of the puzzle in place and then you can just focus on driving. You know, my biggest deal right now is um, getting to where I can just focus on the driving aspect and not have to worry about, okay, we need to, we need to do this to the tires. We need to do this to that. We need to have this or going or, you know, whatever. Like, you don't want to have to worry about all that stuff. You just want to worry about getting to the racetrack and driving that race car. And, um, you know, that's where the bigger teams have such a huge advantage. Um, you know, those days, you know, there's times those guys may not even have a better car than you, but they're going to outdrive you because they're focused on just that. Right. Yeah. Ayrton, yeah. we can't thank you enough for being on the show today. It's It's been a pleasure to have you on. And uh, congratulations on your Power Eye Championship. Um, is there any chance that you might run to defend your championship with Power Eye? Yeah, you know, I think we'll, uh, you know, we're going to see what all the schedules look like, but I think there's a pretty good chance we will. Um, you know, I like I said earlier, it's really awesome to have Missouri 410 racing. And, um, you know, for me, I, I need to support that with Kenny and give Kenny a, you know, give Kenny another car and make sure that we, this is, this gets a really good shot at doing it. Cause you know, it's something that I think going to be great for the Midwest is getting a good 410 series here. And, you know, so I think we'll probably more than likely lean towards defending it. Um, you know, we'll just have to wait and see what every, how everything falls and go from there. But, uh, you know, more than likely, I think we will be. So, um, you know, that's kind of the plan for now. And then, you know, obviously we get all of our sponsors back You know, we got really great sponsors right now. So I can't thank them enough. And, you know, if we get all of them back and maybe get a few more, uh, you know, hopefully we can do a little bit of traveling with doing the Power Eye deal. Yeah, I, I believe that more people are going to be attracted to Power Eye over time. I, I, I look for more people to, to get over there and try to run that series. Don't you think so? Yeah. Tra- travel's a big yeah. part of it. Yeah, it's, it's gaining traction right now, and I think, uh, you know, I think people are going to start leaning towards it with, you know, his payouts and, promoters you know anytime you start something like that straight out of the box it's going to take a little bit for it to grow but you know with his purse and you know how well the shows get ran um you know i think we were down in tulsa and our program was over before 8 30 it was crazy we were pulling out of the racetrack at 8 30 it's like holy cow you know like this crazy. is how you want a program to be run and yeah uh, you know so when you can do stuff like that have a good purse have good personnel and get guys to believe in it it's gonna grow and i think it could you know, if the ambition's there and the and the op- and the opportunities there now for someone to take place of the All Stars, kind of where they were racing in their regional deal, you know, there's opportunity for a series to do that, and it's going to be who wants to do it. You know, there's three three really good smaller series that have the potential, and if they can, you know, figure out a way to do it, you know, one of them series could be the next All Star series. Yeah, no doubt about it. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us here on the show, man. We can't thank you enough for doing so. Awesome, man. Thank you. All yep, right. Thank you. Good luck next year. There you have it. Ayrton Jeniton joining us on the show. A lot of insight there. Uh, a, Good conversation. A, 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 a little bit. Uh, are we? Do we got Bob Baker lined up? I haven't heard from him. He might be tied up for Cyber Monday or something going on. It it could be. This is a busy day for a lot of people. So we'll give him a call and see if we can get him on during the commercial break. Yep. When we come back, we'll do maybe a live read if we don't get a hold of him. and then Right. Hall of Fame read. All right. That was a great conversation with Ayrton. It It, it, was. I mean, just how difficult this is 
to be an independent racer, and he's done very well for himself, the challenges involved of pulling that off. That's uh, no doubt. I think Ayrton has done a really good job, and he's still a pretty young guy. I think I think Bob Baker is calling in right now as we speak. Let's take a break. When we come back, more of Mostly Motorsports. It's all brought to you by Rod In Supply featuring the Power Eye Midwest Lightning Sprints. We'll be back in a moment. Stay tuned. Listening to Mostly Motorsports with the Racing Boys. Rod and Supply is involved with a variety of motorsports as well as industrial applications with many different types of products. Since 1989, Rod and Supply has provided superior products priced competitively. Whether you're racing at the circle track or drag strip, rock climbing, or going off-road, Rod and Supply is an assortment of Rod and's radius rods and specialty products to keep your equipment moving. Rod and Supply's experienced staff is ready and willing to help you with your needs. Their promise is to continue to provide a superior product with superior service so you can stay in front of the field no matter what it is. To learn more, go to rodandsupply.com. and Supply is involved with a variety of motorsports as well as industrial applications with many different types of products. Since 1989, Rod and Supply has provided superior products priced competitively. Whether you're racing at the circle track or drag strip, rock climbing, or going off-road, Rod and Supply is an assortment of Rod and's radius rods and specialty products to keep your equipment moving. Rod and Supply's experienced staff is ready and willing to help you with your needs. Their promise is to continue to provide a superior product with superior service so you can stay in front of the field no matter what it is. To learn more, go to rodandsupply.com. Here at Specialty Sportswear, in-house, we do all of the screen printing, all the embroidery. We do some vinyl. The other add specialty items like your pens, magnets, notepads, calendars. You can actually buy that, build your business, and make it larger. We have the largest screen printing process and the largest embroidery anywhere around in the area. We can do stuff all the way from your school clubs to sports teams, a professional look in the office. If you can imagine it, we can do it for you. Rod and Supply is involved with a variety of motorsports as well as industrial applications with many different types of products. Since 1989, Rod and Supply has provided superior products priced competitively. Whether you're racing at the circle track or drag strip, rock climbing, or going off-road, Rod and Supply is an assortment of Rod and's radius rods and specialty products to keep your equipment moving. Rod and Supply's experienced staff is ready and willing to help you with your needs. Their promise is to continue to provide a superior product with superior service so you can stay in front of the field no matter what it is. To learn more, go to rodandsupply.com.
Race fans, the National Sprint Car Hall of Fame and Museum is open seven days a week, year-round, for you to come in and check out all of the wonderful race cars on display in the museum. And our online store at SprintCarStuff.com is open 24 hours a day for you to check out everything that we have in stock for Sprint Car fans. Whether it's for a birthday, anniversary, or Christmas, SprintCarStuff.com has it all. That's at the National Sprint Car Hall of Fame and Museum in Knoxville. When Steve died, the outpouring of love was amazing. These dollars had come together uh, to support us, and we realized, no, we didn't want to use them for us. We wanted to use them to help others. The foundation has done so much for so many people. It helps any any family that has somebody, rather be a crew member or one of the drivers that get hurt, we can help them to get through the situation. I was injured in an on-wing sprint car accident that broke my neck and left me with a spinal cord injury. In the hospital eight months and that got really, really expensive. So having that extra help to help push me and my family forward was a big deal. Yes, Steve's death is the reason the foundation exists, but it's Steve's life and it's the lives of racers everywhere is the reason we are able to do the work we do. Go harder, faster, stronger with Rod and Supply. Whether you are running industrial, farming equipment, or a race car, Rod and Supply has the assortment of rod ends, radius rods, and specialty products that will help you lead the field in performance. Our superior design means our rod ends last longer and perform better, giving you the edge on the track and saving you money. Contact Rod and Supply or order online today at rodandsupply.com. We don't just sell them, we race them. Rodandsupply.com, serving the racing community for over 30 years. Welcome back. It's mostly motorsports. It's all brought to you by Rod and Supply, featuring the Power Eye Midwest Lightning Sprints. Joining us now from the National Sprint Car Hall of Fame and Museum is a longtime friend of the Racing Boys. We've known him forever. Back when he was a promoter out at I-70, he's just he's just an all-around great guy. Bob Baker joins us now on the show. Bob, how you doing? Good, Scott. Thanks for the kind words. It's good to hear your voice. Hey, hey we can't forget Sedalia, too. You were a big, big-time operator there hey, hey, at the fairgrounds. You, you did a great job at Sedalia as well. I tell you, I, was, I feel very fortunate that I got to put in those four years at the Missouri State Fairgrounds and made some great friends and had a great time and got a great education all, all at the same time. It was, it was kind of a difficult time for me. I just left the world of outlaws and was looking for something to get into, and I, I just got lucky finding the Missouri State Fairgrounds there and needing someone to put on weekly races. And we, we just started doing it in 1991. Nobody yeah. did it better than you, my friend. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> well, thank you for saying that. It, there were a lot of people that helped us. My whole family, my aunts, uh, my cousins, my brother, and my mom, you know, sold tickets every week down there. It definitely was a, a family support deal. And lots of good friends in Sedalia, you know, the Oots family. Uh, Bill and Joy Utes and, and just the people down in today were just great. They loved racing, loved sprint car racing, and, you know, they just wanted to see the racetrack be successful. Hey, Bob, how many of these Jan Opperman cars are you selling? There's 400 that were made, and uh, we've sold right a little under 100 as of, you know, right before lunch. They told me we were at like 97 or 98 that we've sold. So we've had a lot of people since they first came out last Thursday 
people are pre-ordering them, and everybody asks the same question, will they be in for Christmas? No, they won't come in until February or March next year. Uh, we wish we could have got them earlier, but that's just how long it takes to get them after we order them. So it's going to be after the first of the year before they come in, but they're going pretty fast. Our phones and, and the online orders on SprintCarStuff.com have been coming in you know, since we first announced it last week on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. This big day is Cyber Monday, by the way, and uh, you—you've uh, been talking about all of the uh, items in the gift shop at this National Sprint Car Hall of Fame, uh, and you do have a lot of items that people can get before Christmas. Hey, it, it's a great place to buy your Christmas presents, isn't it, Bob? You know, it is. Long before I ever thought about working at the National Sprint Car Hall of Fame and Museum, I would receive uh, the museum store catalog in the mail right before Christmas, which we just sent out in the mail to everybody last week. And I would buy things for my brother and my dad and other race fans on my Christmas list. And that was long before I started working here. I can remember buying some clocks and T-shirts and some other odds and ends for Christmas. And we have over a 1,000 sprint car uh, pieces of merchandise that we don't have just enough space to list everything properly in the catalog. But if you go online to SprintCarStuff.com, you can see every pencil, eraser, you know, piece of candy, every puzzle, every kid's game, every piece of jewelry, all the hats, everything is online. The the artwork, the photos, the die-cast cars, it's all listed online. It, it's, it is a lot to get through because there's just so much of it. Right. Uh, you've had Ascot Park, Williams Grove. What track are you going to have this year that, that you're going to uh, um, kind of display this year at the race? Next year. At, at, at next year at the Hall of Fame. Yeah, for 2024, we're working on a track tribute to Eldora Speedway. So Eldora wow. Speedway will be our, our featured exhibit from April 1st to October 1st in 2024. And we have so far six iconic race cars, including a late model, dirt late model that raced at uh, at Eldora Speedway that we're going to have on display. So we're we're pretty excited about that to get some of the vo- the photos, the memorabilia from Eldora over the years and you know, just try to get some of the icon- iconic race cars that won a lot of big races and that people are familiar with that they maybe haven't had a chance to see in this part of the country. Something that we can have in the museum during the Knoxville Nationals in August and then a few months before and a few months afterwards. So Eldora Speedway is going to be our featured racetrack for 2024. I would imagine you got something that Jack Hoddenshield, the wild child, drove at Eldora, would you not? I would think so. Bill works on the cars, Bill Wright, that does all the museum exhibits. And it's hard when you think of all the drivers. You know, you, you've you got Jack Hewitt. Uh, yeah. Like you mentioned, Jack Hoddenshield and so many other drivers that cut their teeth racing, you know, in Ohio back at Eldora. And so it, it's going to be hard. And then you've got the big late model races that they have there all the time. And try to get at least one late model, one midget. You know, there's two out of the six cars that leaves you four if you have a Hoddenshield car and a jack hewitt car that leave you too and there's just you know a lot of cars that are out there that we'd like to bring in and, and put a good well-rounded exhibit you know to to really show eldora as, as a track that features all sorts of different types of racing scott and i had a great time at eldora speedway this year didn't we <laughs> the, well, we the, did it was a great time and, and by the way if if uh you want to see a great show flow racing has put together a uh, documentary on the million at Eldora Speedway this year, so that's worth watching. Have you seen that, Bob? I have not seen that one yet. I've seen a couple of the other ones that Flow Racing is putting out, and they've got some really good productions and really, you know, behind-the-scenes uh, shots and interviews 
on short track racing that are, that are really good and, and it helps people understand our sport a little bit more. And if you meet somebody that says, well, what is a sprint car or what, what is a dirt track or what are you talking about? You can show them some of these videos and let them walk away with them. And then they'll call you back in a couple of days and say, you know, that looks like a lot of fun. When can we go? Well, here we are in right. November. It's like <laughs> maybe sometime after the first of the year. There's so enough. Those are great documentaries. There's enough material to keep that theater, that nice theater you've got on the second floor up there going. You know, uh, I'm glad you mentioned that because we've been working for a couple years uh, since our good friend Greg Stevens passed away, the videographer that did a lot of the World of Outlaw races and the early days of TNN, the National Network Racing. Uh, He donated all of his videos to our museum when he passed away, which, if you can believe this, there were two pallet loads of VCR tapes. Wow. And so we've got one crew. There's two people in our archive building that are converting those uh, VCR tapes over to digital so that we can show them in the theater. And bit by bit, we are adding those to our playlist in the theater. We now have a touch screen when you enter the theater so you can pick which video or which race or which interview you'd like to watch. If you'd like to watch something on the board tracks, you can hit a video on the board tracks. If you'd like to watch a race from Eldora Speedway or an interview with Kyle Larson or, you know, whatever it is, there's even some some late model interviews and races in there. So it's a wide variety of the of videos that Greg Stevens shot. And bit by bit, we're getting those. I think we're, we're up to about 60 that we have now. And it's going to get to be very cumbersome because there are just so many races that he covered. But that was one of Greg's wishes before he passed away was that our theater would be a theater where people could pick which video they'd, they'd like to see. And he said, and I'll support it with all the videos I've got. You can have all my videos when I'm, when I'm gone and take those and put some of those in there. So it's the people have gone upstairs, you know, usually people would go into theater and we'd have on whatever movie we picked out, you know, the staff right, here. Right. And uh, they, they'd sit for 10 or 15 minutes and they'd come back and shop and go through the museum but now we're finding people are spending an hour and two hours up there, you know, watching different movies and coming back more than once because they see something that they haven't seen or they want to see again. So it's it's been a pretty positive thing to have the variety of videos to choose from when you walk in the movie theater. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I, I, I can't say enough about Kirk and I. In 2009, we won the Media Member of the Year Award with the North American 360 Sprint Car Poll. That that was a great honor to Kirk and I that year, wasn't it, Kirk? That yeah, was that was yeah. such a great honor for us. But there's you know there's so many people who contribute, and the media is as uh, a big part of that to try to spread the word out there for uh, racing. But the the awards that you hand out every year, not just that those awards, but all of the other Driver of the Year awards that I know that are coming up soon. Yes, our Sprint Car Poll Awards were started years before the National Sprint Car Hall of Fame and Museum even started. Tom Schmay had started the program, uh, the Sprint Car Poll Awards for 410, 360, and non-wing sprint cars. And we continue those all three of those programs today with Driver of the Year, Mechanic of the Year, you know, the Media Member of the Year, which, which Racing Boys, which you guys won, like you said, back in 2009. And it's been a great program because it it's the only program that our museum has that lets us reward today's current achievers in sprint car racing. I mean, we have the Hall of Fame, which is, is like a lifetime achievement award being inducted as for your lifetime contribution to the sport. Well, the Sprint Car Poll Awards are for people that are working their way towards becoming a Hall of Famer. And, you know, we can tell when we give those awards to different drivers and different track promoters and media members 
and the outstanding contribution to the sport award. When we give those away at different racetracks across the country, it's not only good for the person feeling good that receives that, but it's also good, you know, for the fans to see that the hall of fame is involved in more than just, you know, the history of the past with the, right. with our uh, induction program with our hall of fame inductees. Yeah. Uh, Bob, so what what new is going to take place up at the, the National Sprint Car Hall of Fame and Museum this year? Is there anything that you can kind of tease us with a little bit? Besides Eldora well, Speedway display. <laughs> well, as far as the museum itself, we've, we've spent about the last eight weeks working on the floors, the physical floors on the suite levels here. The third and fourth floor have been coated over several times to ensure that uh, water doesn't leak through and some of those older areas that are getting a little rusty. So we've scraped all those areas up, which took a lot more time than anticipated, and we've put down a new acrylic floor on both the balconies and the walkways uh, on the third and fourth floors. So it's going to be a nice slip-resistant uh, material on the floor, and it looks very, very nice, too. It really adds, adds to, the, to the color and the, and the overall presence of the, of the suites up on the third and fourth floor. As you know, we did all eight of our bathrooms last year, remodeled those, and we still have to uh, redo the floors, resurface the floors on the third and fourth levels in the lobbies. And then we're going to go ahead after uh, the first of the year while we're all down at the Chili Bowl. Uh, the same crew is going to come in and they're going to uh, tear up the tile floors that are starting to crack on the first floor here in the museum where the museum store is in the lobby. So all the tiles are coming out and they'll have the nice acrylic floors done. Hopefully by the time we get back from the Chili Bowl, they've ensured me they'd be finished in a week that they could easily do it. So for the first time ever, the museum will actually uh, be closed as far as people going through the museum. The store will still be open. Well, the store won't be open. The whole museum will be closed because they're resurfacing the floors in the store. But those are two major things, the floor work that we're working on. Um, some, something that people won't see is over in our archive building. Uh, that building was built in 1970. It's two blocks north of here, and it houses all of Sprint Car Racing's memorabilia trophies, driver's uniforms, helmets, and all the printed material. We have our country's largest collection of printed material on dirt track racing assembled at one place. And so writers come from all across the country here to get their information, to do their research, to write books, stories, and articles from the information in our archive building. So that building needs a new air conditioning system, not just like a unit or a condenser or, you know, a piece or part. That whole system was installed back in 1970, which over 50 years ago, uh, over 60 years, no, 53 years ago. And uh, it just needs to be replaced. We've had to put Freon in it the last couple of years, and that old Freon is very, very, very expensive. So right. we just really need to update that air conditioning system and, and get that back on its feet. And then we're working on some larger projects, you know, outside of the museum that I can't really talk about right now, but... Uh, we're hoping to be able to make some announcements on that after the first of the year in March about what we'd like to do there. And so just a lot of uh, repair work, upgrades, and uh, different exhibits in the museum. Back back to the museum, you asked me, Scott, what else is coming in the museum? We rotate the cars in and out of the museum. There's always one or two or three different cars every month that are going into the museum and coming out of the museum. And so just on any given day, somebody will come in and say, you know, I, I came because I heard you had this car, you know, here or was featured in the window, and they'll come in two or three weeks later and it will be gone, you know, because the owner will have picked it up and taken it back home. So the, the exhibits are constantly changing, but the, the main exhibit 
our rate for next year for 2024 again will be our track tribute to Eldora Speedway and that will be our main thrust for next year and I know we'll have different cars in because we're changing cars out now even in the winter time uh, to bring cars in and out another project that people really kind of see but they don't notice so much when they walk in the museum uh, next this week we're taking all the pictures everything off the walls all the cases cabinets that are next to the walls have to come off cars are all being moved into the center of the museum so that we can repaint all the walls inside the museum. Uh, there's a crew coming in tomorrow and they say it will take two to two and a half days to repaint everything and make some minor repairs on the walls inside the museum. And then all the pictures and driver's uniforms and memorabilia will go back up on the walls. And so that's a big task. We, we filmed everything where it was exactly. Uh, we've got some things that have been up for a long time that we're taking down and putting back in our archives so we can bring more new material to put on display on the walls, which Bill Wright is very excited about to have some new space to work with uh, because we, we have so much that has been donated to us, thankfully, by the people who really have a heart and passion to preserve the sport. And Bill's just always dying to try to get a new piece in the museum. And with moving some of these older, larger pieces out that have been in the museum for years and putting them in storage and bringing in some newer memorabilia, driver's uniforms, helmets, pictures, paintings. Uh, it just keeps the museum fresh where people want to come back and, and notice something different every time they come in. Hey, Bob, let me ask you a little bit about outside of uh, the National Sprint Car Hall of Fame and Museum. What do you think about the High Limit Series coming in, buying the All-Stars and, and the World of Outlaws? That This could be a little bit of a, a little bit of a war between the two of them, couldn't it? it? It could be that way, but it could also work as a benefit to the sport and to, and to both of those groups. You know, Scott and, and Kirk, you and I, we've all been around for a while. We remember the USA and the NST, you know, when those breakoff groups, you know, right. took some of the star drivers out of the world of outlaws and, and tried to start up a series on their own. And neither of those series were successful for different reasons. Um, the thing that Kyle Larson and Brad Sweet has put together with Flow Sports, they've got a really good package with Flow Sports, you know, to not only promote and put on the races, but also to get the races on the streaming service of Flow Sports. So they have a few things that weren't done with the other two groups in the past. And as I mentioned before, they were not successful. But I, I hope that Brad and Kyle take some notes, you know, from from the USA and the NST and they don't try to get into a war. They try to, to coexist with the world of outlaws and work around the schedule so the drivers can get to uh, more than just one series of races. I know the outlaws have, I think, the drivers can go to four races and outside the outlaw races. And the, the high limit, I don't think, has any limits on their drivers racing in other races, you know, like outlaw races or, right. you know, the different series that are out there. So I think there's a, a benefit to be had for both groups but I'm hoping that both groups will work together and not against each other. There's, you know, I worked at Weld Wheels for a while, and it, and it wasn't until I worked there I realized that how many more late models, dirt late models there are in the country than there are sprint cars. There's eight times more dirt late model stock cars in America than there are sprint cars. So there's a finite number of sprint cars, especially when you get down to 410 wing sprint cars. There's a, a limited number of those cars to go around to, to be able to field a good show at, at both the High Limit Series and the World of Outlaw races, plus the other specials that happen 
across the country every year. So, you know, both series want to be a part, of course, of the Knoxville Nationals, the Kings Royal, the $250,000, you know, the High Banks Nationals up at Houston Speedway up in, up in South Dakota. Both groups want to be a part of those. And I'm sure it sounds like the High Limit Series are working those weekends into their series off where their drivers can go to the World of Outlaws Series. So I think, I think that's a good thing. I, I think the one mistake that they've made is the All-Stars were kind of a regional act. And I, I, the only problem I see is some of these smaller teams can't afford to run to the West Coast and go to Skagit, go to Chico, and, and wherever they go up and down the West Coast. That That's the only thing that I see is a, a, really is a, a problem for some of the smaller teams. I agree with you. I think that both Brad and Kyle would like to see more of the all-star teams follow their full uh, circuit, the high-limit series circuit. But a lot of those teams just don't have the funding, like you say, to take off for a week or two to go to California or to take off for a Midwest swing two or three times a year. So I think that Brad and Kyle are hoping that those drivers will fall in with the fast series and the boss series in Pennsylvania and Ohio and race with those guys and then support the high limit series whenever they're available to when they're in the area. But we're going to miss the all-stars, you know, our sport is going to miss the all-stars, you know, Burton, Bridget, Emick, and all the people, Tony Stewart, and, you know, everybody that worked on that series, you know, did a lot to make sure it, it stayed so that there was a place for those guys in that region to race. Um, so I'm hoping that, you know, both series can coexist, the World of Outlaws and the and the High Limit series. I I don't know how it's going to work out. You never know till after you get a year under your belt. I know, you know, both series have, have different goals for their series and their drivers and, and what they do. And so I'm just hoping that they're both successful for the benefit of our sport. Hey, uh, Bob, you talking about all those great improvements that's going on up at the Hall of Fame. That all takes funding. And where'd that come from? Well, you got a couple of sweepstakes that uh, are well underway. Uh, you got the sprint car that you'll be drawing for a year from now. And the Corvette. You got the, you got the Corvette uh, next August. Kind of talk about... Uh, how uh, fans can get uh, signed up, get registered, and uh, get in on these sweepstakes. You know, the Corvette is a good story. It's hard to believe this will be the sixth Corvette we've given away, and we'll give it away next August on Saturday, August 17th. Uh, The Corvette we had last year, you know, broke all records. It was the 70th anniversary uh, Z06, and it was like over a million dollars it helped our museum with. So that was just a, a blessing to be able to get that car and to be able to give it away uh, to a man that won it from Ohio. And uh, the, the car we have now is a 2023 Z06. It's the Torch Red Convertible, and it's got the Z07 performance package. Uh, it, it's the bigger tires, bigger wheels, bigger brakes, and then it's got the, the big wing on the back, the carbon fiber package. And it's a car that, like, if you wanted to order a 2024 Corvette right now, you wouldn't be able to get the Z07 performance package from what everybody's told us. So, it's a car that I think the Corvette enthusiasts will like, and because it's a torch red and it's a convertible and it's a Corvette, you know, it's, it's been real popular so far. We started the contest the week after we gave away the last car in August, and it's, it's doing very well. And we anticipate it. It will do very well to help our museum. And at times, you know, when you get a good program like the Corvette sweepstakes or our sprint car sweepstakes that we're doing, 
you wonder without those programs how would you be able how would we be able to fund this museum it's it, it's grown into a lot more than just the museum building that we grew up with there's five buildings here now that uh, need support year-round so without the sweepstakes of the Corvette and also you know the triple X uh, 410 sprint car the Al Parker engine 410 sprint car that we give away next year in uh, August next year in December on the sprint car it would be hard to imagine how the bills would get paid here because it, it takes a lot <laughs> yeah well, is the Brian Clawson uh, Sweet Tower is it paid for? Yes, we paid off the Brian Clawson Sweet Tower. I think it was last year in April. So we've been very blessed, like I said, with the contest and sweepstakes and our SprintCarStuff.com, our online store and the museum store, and of course having the suites in the Brian Clawson Sweet Tower and the, and the twenty suites here in our museum all filled and a large waiting list, you know, for more suites to be built. It's it's a good sign that our sport is healthy and able to support the museum that we have here. I mean, the archive building, I mean, if we didn't have a place to house all of the things that we have there, they would just fall by the wayside. And there's other forms of motorsports that have museums, but they don't have the capability to house all the collections that have been donated like our museum does. So we're just very fortunate to have the space to, to be able to store the cars that are donated to us and to have that staging building to rotate the cars in and out of the museum and to have the archive building to save all the printed material, all the old national speed sport news, Hawkeye racing news, Gator racing news, all those great racing papers from the past, have those all over there at our fingertips for anybody that wants to go look at them, you know, or even somebody's writing a book or a story about them for research. Plus the Brian Clausen Sweet Tower, and you guys know it, but a lot of people don't know, we own the building that's the Rib Shack restaurant, the barbecue restaurant right. across from our museum. Uh, that property was purchased years ago, and uh, the Rib Shack has, has been a great partner for our museum. Uh, when we do events here, there's a lot of times when Joni Bell, who owns the Rib Shack, will just donate the meal. At our induction banquet the last two years, Joni Bell and Rib Shack have donated all the food, all the drinks, everything for all of our guests at the induction banquet. And that's seven, eight thousand dollars a year. Wow! And it's a big things like that that people don't see, but having partners like the Rib Shack help us do that, and then the Rib Shack also helps our sweet holders when they want to entertain people and have barbecue or different types of food that the Rib Shack, you know, can make over there very easily and bring to the sweet holders. That's a win-win for both our museum and for the the restaurant. And when we use our second floor for wedding receptions, parties, family gatherings. Uh, family reunions, different events. Rib Shack can cater those events. They're right across the parking lot. Uh, they're very affordably priced. They have great food. And the people that come to the events just really enjoy the, the ease and the low cost of having something really close, you know, I, like the Rib Shack to cater their events. Uh, you get a great support from the community at Knoxville. Just talk about how important that is uh, for uh, everybody in Knoxville and the support you get from the community. Kirk, I wouldn't know where to start. I mean, I could go into the museum today, and as I told you, we're getting ready to paint the whole museum starting tomorrow. Well, our guys, our maintenance guys, Bill, and a couple of community members are in there right now taking all the pictures off the wall. We videoed everything so we know where everything goes back. But it, it takes, you know, five or six people to get all the driver's uniforms and the helmets and the pictures that are hanging on the wall and the paintings that are hanging on the wall and all those big cabinets that are up against the wall pulled back and the race cars pulled into the center 
to make room for the ladders and the tarps and the painters that are going to come tomorrow to start painting. And without the extra hands of the people in the Knoxville community that help us do that, uh, we had a lighting ceremony for our building. We turned on our building's Christmas lights on Friday night, and there's a man here locally who plays Santa Claus and came and gave gifts to the kids. Uh, Radio stations, a big supporter of ours, they brought their big red radio and played Christmas music for the people, you know, that were gathering inside and outside the museum. Uh, The uh, Optimist Club, uh, Lori Lori DeMoss, who's been here as our longest tenured employee. She's my administrative assistant, but that's an understatement because she handles a lot of the paperwork that comes through the museum for the five buildings. Well, she's in the Optimist Club, and there must have been about 10 or 12 Optimist members that were here to help out with Santa and the kids, and they provided the gifts for the kids and candy canes and, and just made sure the event went well. Rib Shack, of course, helped and pitched in. They brought hot chocolate over for the people who were standing outside to watch us turn on the lights. So uh, just it was just a great community event. But the people that live here are always, you know, looking out for us and telling us, you know, this is an area you might want to do something in. You might want to take a look at this, or you might want to not get involved in that situation. Right. If I was you, I wouldn't do this. You know, you, you kind of sit and you get it from all sides. You get a lot of input from a lot of people, and that really helps the museum because – People that have lived here their whole lives know a lot more about Knoxville than Bob Baker, who's only been here 16 years. And, you know, they can say this property used to be this, and this property used to be this, and I wouldn't mess with that if I was you. I think I'd keep looking or I'd do something different. Or if you have a problem, here's who you want to talk to. You know, my relative or my neighbor, you know, takes care of the power in this area or handles the underground water, you know, for the for the fairgrounds or your museum. Those are people you want to talk to. So. There's a lot of uh, uh, support with just the work that goes on, and there's a lot of financial support from the community also. Yeah. Um, if the, you know, I keep talking about the painting that's going on in our museum. Uh, we got quotes on the painting to find out what it was going to cost to paint inside of a museum. And uh, there was a man that used to do it for us on the side, and he was a retired painter, and he did it. He was 84 years old. And he'd been doing it ever since I started. And he came in earlier this year. He said, Bob, your museum really needs to be painted bad, but I've got to retire. I'm 84. I just can't do it anymore. My knees don't work. I can't get on a ladder. You know, call these people and have them give you a quote. We got the quote on the on the work to paint the museum. And one of our longtime supporters, Don Long, came by. He goes, what's going on in the museum? And I said, well, we're getting ready to measure to see how much it's going to cost to paint it. And he goes, what do you think? And I said, I don't know, but it's a different group than we had before with pat brown and these guys are going to bring in six to eight painters have it painted in two to three days and he says well he goes you know it needs to be painted i've noticed a couple spots that could use a little work he goes when you find out the price you just give me a call and i gave don long a call and he said why don't you just let me take care of the painting for you wow so he wrote us a check to pay for painting inside the museum and that's just one story you guys of the support that the people in knoxville have for this museum if if everybody across the country could see this on a daily basis like I do, I think people would be blown away to just think there's people that come in and offer to do things or pay for things or help you get things done like they do in Knoxville. Knoxville really is a special place. Community, yeah. I call it pride. That's that's the word that there's comes to mind. There's a lot mind. of pride in that, yeah, no doubt. There, There is a lot of pride in the community for our museum and for the work that we do. Uh, the city, the county, the state, they're all very supportive. 
Um, we've hit bumps in the road before. We hit bumps when we were building the Brian Clausen Sweet Tower, and we needed help, you know, moving cables or moving water lines or working around gas lines or even the water truck. If you guys remember, the water truck used to load water right there where the Brian Clausen Sweet Tower is. That's where the water spigot was. And the racetrack, when they heard we wanted to build a new set of sweet towers there, uh, the Brian Clausen Sweet Tower, they said, why don't you let us move that water spigot into the infield and that would get that out of your way so you can build that building there. And I thought, oh, man, this is great. And, you know, I was hoping that they would want to do that. But for them to suggest it to us, right? you know, that was just that was the big thing. Hey, hey, Bob, I, I know that uh, on the Sprint Car Hall of Fame dot com, uh, there's a donate page and, and people can donate if they can go to one eight hundred eight seven four 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 eight eight. Or there's a donate online today link that people can donate to the Hall of Fame, right? Absolutely, you can donate, you know, on, online, or you can just give us a call if you want to do it. You know, make a phone call to us. Um, and the sweepstakes are a great way to donate to us as well. You know, out of all the thousands of people that donate, there's only one winner for the Corvette and one winner for the Sprint car each year. So the people across the country have a way that they can donate and you know have a chance to win one of those vehicles which is, is really nice, you know, instead of, of the, the flat donation is great and it really helps our museum. The sweepstakes both really help our museum also. So there's lots of ways, even the Christmas orders from our, our Christmas catalog that just came out, you know, our museum store catalog with the hundreds of items that are listed in here that are just part of our inventory. It's, I can remember getting these when I was, when I was much younger and they listed like every pencil, every eraser, everything. But it was so small, it was hard to read. So the people that work on this at Pella Printing on our, our catalog really do a great job. And those are great ways to help our museum and help you fill up your orders for Christmas, you know, for your loved ones and family and friends who, who like racing. Yeah, Bob, we can't thank you for taking the time to join us here on Mostly Motorsports. It's, again, all brought to you by Rod and Supply, featuring the Power Eye Midwest Lightning Sprints. Can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us on here today, bud. Uh, j- hey, just get you. those websites out there, the winasprintcar.com and uh, the sprintcarstuff.com for the Jan Opperman right. uh, unit and uh, the Corvette, win a Corvette. Win a Z06 Corvette. Win a Z06 Corvette.com. Right. Yeah. I knew you'd correct me on that. Hey, listen. Sure I, give a sh- I can't wait to get up there and buy one of those uh, Jan Opperman die cast. <laughs> well, I want to give a sh- thank you for doing that. I want to give a shout out to our good friend uh, Bob Douglas at Rod End Supply for supporting your program and being such a great supporter of uh, motorsports, not just in the Kansas City area, but the Midwest and, and far reaching areas also. Bob's a great supporter of. A sprint car racing, our museum, and and all the racing in the Kansas City area. So, we're Kansas City is great is a very lucky and fortunate to have a great guy like Bob Douglas. No doubt about it. Of Kansas. And just so you know, Bob Douglas has re-upped for next year with mostly motorsports yeah. and and track talk. He's as been well. with us from day one. He, he, uh, just so you know, Bob. The first time that we ever asked anybody to sponsor us, Bob Douglas was the first one to join us. I believe it. I believe that's the kind of guy Bob is. He wants to do anything he can to help, you know, help promote the sport of sprint car racing and just racing in the Kansas City area and the different parts of the country where he has business interests. So he's just a great guy. Yep, no doubt about it. Thanks, Bob, so much for joining us here on Mostly Motorsports. Can't thank you enough. 
Thank you, guys. Have a great day. We'll see you down at the Chili Bowl. We'll see you at the Chili Bowl in a few weeks. All All right. right. There you have it. Bob Baker joining us here on the uh, broadcast today. Man, that was a good conversation, wasn't it? I guess this show did take up two hours after all. It did. It It ended up taking (laughs) up two hours. You know, to be honest with you. We thought we were going to cut it short. During the winter months, we might not go two hours, right? Well, especially if you don't have a lot of races to talk about. So that, but this was a full show today. Good, good interviews. Ayrton Jeniton, what a great interview that was. Chet Christer, we probably could have spent a whole hour with Chet. Yeah, no doubt. And Bob Baker. How about that? That was a good show today. All right, I want to thank uh, Todd Surprise for doing such a great job each and every day for us here at uh, Mostly Motorsports and Track Talk each and every Saturday morning. Um, Kirk? This weekend, we've got a $20,000 to win late model race to talk about. It's on Saturday night at Alltech Speedway in Florida. The Snowball Derby is going on this next weekend, and uh, so we'll still have some racing to talk about next week. We'll be here next Monday and, of course, Saturday morning for Track Talk. All right. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. For Todd Surprise, for my partner, Kirk Elliott, I'm Scott Trailer saying thanks for joining us. We'll see you on Saturday morning on Track Talk. stronger with rod and supply whether you are running industrial farming equipment or race car rod and supply has the assortment of rod ends radius rods and specialty products that will help you lead the field in performance our superior design means our rod ends last longer and perform better giving you the edge on the track and saving you money contact rod and supply or order online today at rod we don't just sell them we race them rod serving the racing community for over 30 years